0: I don't know if you guys know this or not, but today actually marks our 1 year anniversary of meeting together as City Church. I know, right? It seems a, it seems a little weird. It's definitely not what any of us expected it to be like. You know, I didn't expect to be preaching outside on our 1 year anniversary, but the Lord definitely works in a way that we do not expect and you know, while it does look different, while it does even feel different than I expected it to to feel a year in, I, I'm really thankful. That God has placed us on this journey. I'm hopeful for the days ahead. I'm I'm also excited. You know, there are days in which I'm not excited. There are days in which it feels like a chore, especially working full time as well and getting out of the house and you know finishing my notes at 9:45 last night and you know trying to send them over to Anthony so that we can uh, get them up and then you know it's already too late and I missed the deadline and everything. But you know, I, I'm excited for the days ahead that we get to continue living this Christian life and figuring out what it truly means to be an organic church that learns to follow the way of Jesus and constantly looking to him, not towards the best way of doing things in our own minds, not towards what we think is the best way to do church, but just following after Jesus and hoping along the way that we bring glory and honor and praise to him. So I'm doing something a bit different today. I'm actually, you know, I I keep joking that we're going to become like really liturgical at the end of the day, but I'm actually using the Anglican lectionary verses for today. And partially that was because I started trying to prep for the sermon and like had some verses in mind and then like started and just like stared at a blank page for way too long like in my sermon prep, I'm like, okay, I think this is where I want to go. And then I was sitting there and I'm like, well, I have no clue where this is actually supposed to go at all. And so I'm like, okay, you know, there's this thing called a lectionary. I couldn't remember what it was called. I kept thinking of lexicon, you know, the word lectionary wasn't in my lexicon, but you know, that's a really, really bad, really, really bad joke. I promise. I I don't promise. It may get better than this as we go along. But what was actually interesting as I looked to the lectionary readings for today, the verse in which I was drawn to, the verse in which I wanted to preach, it was right there in the lectionary for today's readings in the B year for the third week of Lent. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe that's a little bit of the Holy Spirit encouraging me and and trying to push me towards that. And, you know, when stuff like that happens, it always feels as sweet as honey, especially on a week where stuff doesn't feel great, where it's been a challenging, where it's been a trying week, to have that gentle encouragement by the Holy Spirit of, yes, this is the way that I'm having you go. Yes, this is where you're supposed to preach. I know you had a blank page. Here are some other verses so you can figure out what it is that you're actually supposed to do. So today may be a little bit different as we dive into this, but ultimately my goal today is to help us refocus our lives and that's uh, what i want us to do i want to refocus our lives on the foolishness of the gospel it kind of came in in my prayer in the beginning but ultimately i want us to to try and abandon anything else that we've put in place of the gospel and this goes with anthony talking about loving god with all our heart all our mind all our soul all our strength it's it's a difficult thing to do but it's the way in which we've been called to live so let's go ahead and dive in. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It's the Apostle Paul writing his first letter to the church in Corinth. And he says this, starting in verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ has power, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord yes, thanks be to God. I even had it in there. I'm like, we're going to go over it again. We're going to get it today. Although I am going to mess it up here in a second where we're going to learn the, the next portion of it, but we're getting there. You know, you know, that gave me the encouragement to press on towards the next one. Uh, you know, as I read through this, I always think that our natural tendency, what we're naturally inclined to do is to turn away from Christ. That's just kind of our natural bent. If we're not actively pursuing Christ, if we're not actively looking towards him, if we're not setting our, our minds and our hearts and our, our souls steadfast on this Jesus, our natural tendency is to err. It's to, to move away. It's to go in a, in a slanted direction where we, we're like, yeah, I see Jesus. I want to follow after him, but you know, I'm also being drawn over here. And that's kind of naturally what happens for us. See, in our society, the one in which we live, Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church. He's like, hey, I'm going to talk to you about the Jewish people. They want all these signs. They want to know for sure that this Jesus that I'm preaching is the Messiah based on the Old Testament and the, the Greeks, they want to know about the wisdom. They want to hear the philosophy. They want to understand this Jesus based off of human terms. And I think the society in which we live is very similar to the Greek society. It's very similar where we want this Jesus to have easy, logical answers that make sense based off the cultural zeitgeist in which we have that is all around us, that is the totality of what we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to look like, the way in which we're supposed to act. and It's supposed to be this easy, logical way where Jesus is supposed to fit in nicely to what the culture has told us to believe, what the culture has told us to do. But the crucified and resurrected Christ isn't easy or logical. It isn't easily explained. It isn't a a logical event. It's a supernatural occurrence that requires us to trust in this Jesus for salvation. We can't look to human wisdom for answers regarding what we are to believe or how we are to act. This isn't something that we can do as Christians to look at our neighbors and be like, tell me what it is to believe. Tell me what I should be acting like. Because if we do that, we begin to err. We begin to walk away from what it is we're supposed to be following after. But if we are steadfastly focused on Christ, if we are committed to him alone, things go a bit differently. So it's our our goal, it's our duty as Christians to look to Christ alone. And that's why I've been so excited that we've been singing this song in Christ alone. Because yes, it's an old hymn, but it's one of those ones in which it's just so nourishing to our soul as we proclaim, in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my righteousness. In Christ alone is where I look to. In Christ alone is where I cling. When we do that... It becomes a little bit easier to see the way in which we're supposed to react and reflect and encounter the world around us. See, a faith that fits neatly within the surrounding culture is not a faith in Christ. I'm going to read that again because it's one in which I think we need to truly get in it. It's one of those ones that's a bit painful. A faith that fits neatly within the surrounding culture is not a faith in Christ. Through the message of Christ, as Paul is writing here, he's saying it's foolishness to those around us. It's foolishness to those that value what the world values. When we truly value the things of Jesus Christ, we will be seen as fools by those around us. But to those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, this is the way of salvation. It's in Christ alone. So as Christians, as people of God, we must value the things of Christ, not the things of the world. And as, as Americans, this is, becomes really difficult for us because we're, we, everything has been embedded to us to believe a certain way, to think a certain way, to chase after certain dreams, to st- chase after certain forms of security. So in chasing after the things of Christ, we have to reprogram ourselves. We have to refocus ourselves on the way of Jesus. See, over time, we ultimately conform to the things that we value. If we value Christ, if we look to him, if we seek him, if we place him first in our lives, if we look to love him with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, then over time we'll be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. But the same is also true of the world. If we value the things of the world, if we value security, if we value monetary wealth, if we value the easy, good life, then we're going to be conformed more and more to that way of living the longer that we live in this world. So I want to go ahead and read John 2, verses 13 through 22. John records this. He says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And this is the, the new call and response here after the reading of one of the gospels. It's, this is the gospel of the Lord. And the response is, praise to you, Lord Christ, where we focus on him. So let's, let's try that. This is the gospel of the Lord. There we go. We're getting all sorts of liturgical. We got the lectionary readings. We're, we're doing all this. What I love about this is that, it, yes, it's, it can feel a little cheesy. It can feel a little corny, but it makes us active participants in what we're actually hearing here. It makes us active participants in placing the word of God in its rightful place in our minds and hearts. There's the significance of this this passage. So Passover, I'm sure we all know this already, but it's a time to remember that, that God had saved and liberated the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. It was a time of celebration, a time of great joy, a time of worship. Anyone who could, who was able to, would journey to Jerusalem. It was one of these pilgrimage feasts where where people would come to Jerusalem they would come to the temple to sacrifice and to worship and celebrate what God had done for their ancestors believing that he could also do it for them but instead of worshiping certain entrepreneurially minded people set up shop in the temple this was a time to worship it was a time to sacrifice it was a time to have joy and people were like I see that but I'm gonna make me some money I'm going to go in and, you know, I know there's a time to worship. I know it's a time to to be focused on the Lord. But, you know, I'm just going to go and I'm going to take advantage of this situation. They set up shop in the temple. They're selling animals. They're exchanging currencies because, remember, it's a pilgrimage. People from all lands across the world are coming into Jerusalem with their foreign currencies. And so money changers are acting as bankers to to make sure everything's fair and balanced and all of that. And what Jesus does is he, he comes and he recognizes the disconnect of this moment. This is a moment that's supposed to be full of joy for these people, full of worship, full of sacrificial love towards the Father, a time of refocusing on what God had done in the past, knowing that he could do it now. And so Jesus sees this and he, he zealously redirects them to the heart of the matter. He zealously redirects them to the heart of the matter by driving out the animals, turning over the tables. And remember, he has a whip in his hand, a, a whip that he braided himself like he went and got some leather, braided it up and like started driving these people out of the temple because this was that important to him. It was that important to him that he, he redirects them, refocuses them on what it truly means to follow this God. What it truly means to worship him and give him praise and sacrifice to God. You know, one of my biggest fears as a pastor is that, that we'll buy into the same trap. That we'll ultimately trade true worship and proclamation of the goodness of God for something less glorious that we'll have the vision of what it looks like to follow Jesus, we'll have the vision of what it looks like to to live a life that's devoted to God and that we'll trade it for something lesser. That's my greatest fear for us as City Church. I fear that we'll become experts in talking about Jesus in, in economic terms, but fail to take up our cross and follow him. It can be so easy for us to see the death and resurrection of Jesus as a good that we must buy instead of a radical act that we must respond to. I mean, I'm going to read that again because it's something I want us to, to truly grasp because many of us were, were taught this way of living as you know personal relationship with Jesus, sinner's prayer, and we see this, this following Jesus in economic terms. And it's a good and service to be bought. So I'm going to read this, it can be so easy to see the death and resurrection of Jesus as a good that we must buy instead of a radical act that we must respond to. We see it as this one-time thing, this, this easy thing where we're like, yeah, I did that thing. But truly following Jesus is a sacrificial way of living. It's something entirely different. One Puritan writer said it this way. He said, Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. It's an active participation. It's an ongoing way of living. It's not a once and done economic exchange where we buy this Jesus and we've done that and we're good already. We're to be peddlers of religious goods and services. That's not what we've been called to do as Christians. We don't put on great services. We don't present a nice, neat, logical Jesus. No, we're called to follow Christ, to to follow and walk in his ways and to introduce others to this way of Jesus. I know we've all probably watched The Mandalorian, so we're used to this is the way. If we haven't, you know, okay, well, everyone's shaking their head. I'm a little ashamed now, but it's really good. It's the best Star Wars that's, that's been out there. I'm going to get hate emails for that. But I said what I said, okay? Anytime that something happens, The Mandalorian will, will say this is the way. This is the way in which we're supposed to do things. This is the way we've been instructed. And it becomes this kind of dogmatic approach over time. The early Christians were referred to as followers of the way. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way, followers of the way of Jesus. This this life in Christ has always been about living a certain way. It's always been about responding to Jesus in a certain way, having relationship to God in a certain way. And as people of the cross, people who have been redeemed, people who have been reconciled to God, we are to be followers of the way of Jesus Christ. The Christianity isn't primarily transactional, it's transformational. It isn't a transaction for us to have, it's a way of transformation. It's a continual transformation of us into the image of Christ. See, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection did not give us license to believe half-heartedly and to live as though he's unimportant. I'm gonna say something bold, but we're not Christians if we do this. If we believe half-heartedly, if we live as though he's unimportant, we don't ultimately show ourselves to be followers of the way. This is a, a difficult and tough truth, but, but I think our prayer needs to be this of David's prayer in Psalm nineteen fourteen, 14, where he, he writes, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Such a wonderful prayer that, that we could we could pray. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because what this does, what this prayer does is, one, it puts God in his rightful place. Seeing the Lord as my rock, my my foundation, the very essence of who I am. He is my redeemer. He is the one that has made me new. He is the one who has given me salvation. And it's putting myself in subjugation to this Jesus. May the words of my mouth, may everything that I speak, may everything that I say, may everything that I proclaim, and not only the things that come out, but the things inside of me, my heart, my focus, my thoughts, may those be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. That's the prayer that that I so desperately want for us, that we would pray wholeheartedly, that we would be moved in such a way to respond as David did to the Lord. We can't live for the world and claim that we trust in Christ. We can't live for the world and claim that we trust in Christ. The way of Jesus is denying ourselves. It's denying the world. It's trusting in Christ alone for salvation and Christ alone for meaning. It's daily living as though he is alive. Daily living as though he really matters. Because the essence of Christianity, the very core thing of Christianity is a risen and alive Christ. That's what this season is about. It's looking forward to this time of Easter where we get to celebrate the resurrected Christ. This is the core value of Christianity, that Christ is alive. And because of that, it requires me to respond in such a way. See, the choice is ours. Will we cling to the things of the world? Will we continually look for wisdom in our own minds? Will we continually look to wisdom according to the world? Or will we cling to the risen Son of God? Will we cling to His way of life, His way of instruction for us, His way of living? See, the biggest thing that we must do is we must resist the temptation of lackluster belief. It's what's been modeled to us. It's what we've so long seen around us is this lackluster belief, lackluster belief. And instead, we must yearn for hearts that have been set on fire by the life of God working in us and conforming us to Christ. What would it look like for us to be set on fire with the life of God working inside of us, valuing Christ so much that we see him actively working in us, actively transforming us, actively conforming us to his image and his way of living. Let's not be people who see salvation in merely transactional terms. Let's not see our serving of God as peddling of religious goods and services. We must make it our duty to be alive in Christ, to trust in him alone, To see the life of God being active in the soul of man. Whether see us as foolish as we faithfully follow the way of Jesus, absolutely. Yet the Apostle Paul's words remain true. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. It's something that we must embody. It's something that needs to be tattooed on our forehead, knowing that the wisdom of God is wiser than human wisdom. We shouldn't look to culture. We shouldn't look to others. We should look to Jesus alone for the way in which we are to live. I wrote this down at the very end. I'd rather be a fool for Christ than a pawn of culture. Rather be a fool for Christ than a pawn of culture. Of culture, Because culture is always going to try and shift us. It's always going to try to pull us. It's always going to try and take us away from this Jesus. But if we remain steadfast, if we remain focused, if we refocus our lives on this Jesus, then we'll be pursuing him. We'll be actively being conformed and transformed into his image. This is the way in which we are to live, to to put this Christ as the cornerstone of our lives, to put this Christ as the foundation of our souls, the foundation of how we are to live in every aspect of our lives. This Jesus is the way. He is the one that we are to follow. Let's pray.